Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Welcome to Script Shop. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Script Shop. We didn't mean to have the audio double uh, like that. That was a oh, slight technical glitch where things repeated. Hi there. Welcome to Script Shop. I'm Jack, and I don't really care for the season of autumn. It's not my favorite at all. Jack's getting a little too big for his britches, everybody. I mean, this is we've been doing this for a little bit tonight. We, We're we, having fun. We, hi, guys. Welcome to Script Shop. Something that, we, said that. that we you should know about the show yes. I, is that we record in blocks. Yeah. So we, you know, there, we'll pick a night where we... we where we got, you know, we'll book the studios. Yes, and, and interview multiple in. people. Yeah, and we love it. Um, super fun for us. It's great, but we've also been in a fairly small room, Allison Together and Frank and I, for, for hours. A good couple of hours now. Yeah. So we're just sort of in each other's space. Aura. Oh, yes. Each other's aura. Each other's ness. Yes. I like it, though. I'm good with it. It's fun hanging out with you guys. Thanks for listening, y'all. We hope you're enjoying uh, listening to the show with us. We talk to screenwriters about their scripts. And if you want to be a part, I mean, you kind of know the drill at this point, right? If Hopefully. You're, if Maybe you're new not. to the show, we can Welcome. walk you through it. Thank you. Jack, Allison, Frank's in studio. Mm-hmm. Frank's here. Um, no, don't turn Frank's Keep going. On. Frank's had enough tonight. He's good. He's got his... Uh, cherry cola. He's fine. Sponsorship. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, that's a that's an excellent segue. Yes. Speaking of sponsorships Ooh, and okay. partnerships <clears throat> and, and various things. Thank you. So, uh, Script Shop will be partnering with the Independent Film Festival, an independent, multi-genre, exciting, and invigorating film festival taking place at the Woodward Theater, August twenty third, twenty fourth, twenty fifth. 2018. Where Where is the Woodward Theater, The Allison? Woodward Theater is located in downtown Cincinnati. Mm. Um, it is a historic 1920s silent movie house that is being, um, that has state-of-the-art audio and video equipment. Mm-hmm. Things that I know because I'm uh, directing and programming the Syndependent Film Festival focused on independent film. This is the Allison West Syndependent Film mm-hmm. Festival. That's correct. That's a, yeah. a really um, nice way of you to say that. <laughs> um, but if you are interested in uh, coming to Cincinnati and meeting me and Jack and coming to Cincinnati and being a part of this incredible festival that we're planning for this for this coming August. And why wouldn't you be? It's going to be great. It really is. Then you should go check us out at sendependentfilmfest.org or go to Film Freeway to submit your screenplay, short film, or feature film in any genre. Any mm-hmm. genre whatsoever. Taking your submissions now. Uh, something that we do here on the show is we also take your submissions specifically for scripts. If a film festival may not be your thing, but maybe you'd like to do a phone interview with two funny redheads red about your Jinx. script. I can't talk now. <laughs> I don't know your middle name. Jinx isn't exactly conducive to podcasts. Um, anyway, if you have something you'd like to send to us uh, that uh, have us read. What's your middle name? We'll get into it later. No, it's we're, we have to unjinx you. My middle name is Frederick. <laughs> Jack? Is it Jack or is it Jack? It's Jack. Or is it Jacqueline? I don't Jack, know where I was going. Jack with Frederick Crumley. Jack Frederick Crumley. Thank Jack, you. Jack, three times Jack. Give it to oh, me. Jack sorry. Frederick Crumley. Jack Frederick Crumley. That was three. Okay, you're unjinxed. Thank goodness. Yay!
Scriptshopshow.com. in this room for a while. Scriptshopshow.com slash submit to send us your stuff. We are also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, look us up, Script Shop Show, on all of those platforms uh, to interact with us. And if you really love what we're doing mm-hmm. and you would like to Patreon us, Patreonize us, please go to Patreon and look up Script Shop Show and you can... Send us a little bit of moolah. You throw a little change at us. Send a little cheddar away to help us pay for don't say the. That. Why not? <laughs> I got really. I don't know. Just don't say that. <laughs> so judgy tonight. Are you mad because I jinxed you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'm coming off a of jinx here. <clears throat> we love the show. We're keeping the show alive, and uh, we'd love for you to support us. It would just mean a lot to us. So. Um, Check us out on Patreon. Yeah, all those things. That that's uh, and thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading us or streaming us off of iTunes and leaving us a review and a subscription and a thumbs up and, and a share and keep doing those things. All those things. Okay, let's get down with the business and get on to reading stuff. Mm-hmm. And what are you reading? Other than scripts. Yeah, Other than isn't scripts. that funny? Because people say, "What are you reading?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, I've read like a I'm reading a lot of scripts, scripts right now." Mm-hmm. But what else are you reading? Well, you know, um, I don't think that I've brought up. Patrick Rothfuss, who anybody who is into the current modern fiction scene knows about Patrick Rothfuss. He's written two books so far, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. And Mm -hmm. everybody in the world who's aware of his work is waiting for that third one to come out. Mm. Uh, As of the recording night of this show, we still don't have it out yet. Uh, What's it supposed to be called? uh, It. I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe but, some the stone door. Maybe I think he's. Is it a series? One. It is a series. It's What's a, it about? It's this fantasy series about this guy. I actually I can't. Do I, you put costumes on when you read fantasy books? No, I just sit and read. <laughs> Why? I'm just wearing fun. whatever I'm wearing. Like if you. <laughs> <laughs> had a wizard's head. Yeah, I mean I could. And you just lay in bed wearing like a lizard, a wizard. I don't want to take away from this. Anything I say is going to take away from how much you're enjoying this picture that you're clearly forming in your head. And you are turning all shades of red right now thinking about it. You're also wearing like tidy whities in this. Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear are a couple of very good books in this King Killer Chronicle series. And we're just waiting for the third one to come out. I just wanted to maybe somehow, if Patrick hears this in a weird off the beaten path way, uh, we're waiting, man. We would love to read it. Uh, everybody's Everybody's waiting. Yes. What 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 do you dress up and read when you're reading? <laughs> hmm. I do wear a robe. I like okay. to I like to read books in comfy clothes. Okay. Okay. So I have been um, reading Little Fires Everywhere by oh. Celeste Ng. Um, I'm only in the beginning of it, but it's kind of like this. Um, it kind of reminds me of Chocolat, the movie. You know how oh. the Johnny Depp artistic character rolls into town and things go awry sure it's one of those kind of premises so i'll keep you posted on how it goes it's called it's called little fires everywhere because at first you said i'm reading little fires everywhere and i thought the book was maybe little fires and you're just reading it everywhere (laughs) i had i needed that clarification just reading it in the car on my walk just reading it everywhere (laughs) you guys know little fires i'm reading this everywhere (laughs) there are little fires everywhere yeah it's a lot more interesting when you think about the actual fires okay uh do we want to try out Frank, are you reading anything? Do you want to get plug a book? Yeah. um, Right now I'm reading a book called Send. It's why people email so badly and how to do it better. Wow. Okay. That sounds useful. Riveting. Useful. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your emails have gotten better from, from reading it? Um, I'm not completely done with it, but it's certainly in the process of getting better. It certainly helps. You know, I'm, it takes me so long to write emails. Really? That's one of the things I'm, I'm hoping to fix. I email all the time. 
because um, mostly my hobbies include working. And so um, the art of a good email is very important. When I get yeah, bad sure. ones from people, things that don't make sense or things you can't follow, I'm just like, how old are you? How <laughs> How long have you been working in the this industry? This book says that the average person in business sends like 120 emails a day. Yeah. And I'm like, how you, it's, it's like, that's a lot. Every few minutes. Yeah. Like, that's a that's lot. That's crazy. It, it takes me a long time to write the emails. I always, I, I put way too much thought into it. So I, I always write them differently depending on who I'm talking to, like mm-hmm. what the best way of reaching them is. That's how, that's going to have to be a different show because that's totally. We'll do an email show down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're. <laughs> This is weird. Go I, for it. Just, no, I know you're going to go for it. I'm totally into it. Mm-hmm. That was like me and Frank talking about email. <laughs> yeah, That's why Frank and I work great together is because all of a sudden I'm like, this is the worst conversation I've ever had and I'm so <laughs> into it. <laughs> well, do we want to... Uh, let's let's talk about the show stuff and welcome John to the show. We should bring uh, our, our writer today, Jonathan <clears throat> Lapoma, has written a... 110-page friendship feature... Uh, wherein three fellows explore what drove their friendships in separate ways during their formative years. It's called Diplomatic Immunity. Diplomatic Immunity. Um, which we need with to... With an exclamation mark. A-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y. We'll, we'll bring this up with uh, with Jonathan here now that we uh, got it going. Jonathan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, how many emails a day do you write? Uh, I would say probably 110. Ooh, Ooh, yes. Coming in right under that average there. I'm just kidding. I, I maybe like twenty. Okay, that's way way well under average. Well, and that's way more than I write. I don't write a lot of emails. What do you do, Jack? You just tweet. I mean, yeah, I'm Script working. I usually I read other people's emails mm-hmm. in, in in my capacity in the newsroom. Like I'm reading emails all the time. I'm not necessarily writing them unless I'm writing back. Say, hey, can we do an interview with you? Yeah. Speaking of interviews, thank you for submitting your script. Diplomatic immunity. Immunity. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Where, where are you at right now? Where, 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 where do you live? I'm in San Diego. Ooh, I love San Diego. Who doesn't? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I um, I got to go to San Diego last, I think last March 2017 for the San Diego Latino Film Festival because a movie that I had was oh, in cool. that. Yeah, and uh, we went to that mall that I think is in your script. So. While I was reading the script, I was really excited to have been the places that were talked about. In the All right. yeah, it was really fun. So, have you lived in San Diego your whole life? Oh no, I was. I, I grew up in Buffalo. Buffalo, I, I New York. All over the place. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was born in Buffalo. Then, um, when I was six months old, my parents moved to uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, and I was there for four years. And then we moved to kind of like the Woodstock area in New York. Lived up on a mountain for like a year, wow. and then we moved back to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I was I was in Buffalo. Then I was in Mexico for a little while. Then I was in Miami, and then I'm, now I'm out here. How come so much rambling? 2009. Uh, you know, I, I, after college, I was really kind of looking for my place in the world, and it was it took me a long time to figure it out. And I still feel like I'm not in the place that I'm supposed to be, but I've got a much better idea of where it is that I'm going to now. So, um, but I. I you know, I, I'm not one of these people that can just kind of accept what I've been given. I always want to see what else is out there. So uh, I think at that time I was really pushing things to the limit and trying to explore as much as possible. Uh, but these last nine years or so since I've been in San Diego, I've been trying to establish some roots and kind of, I don't know, take things um, a little easier uh, now. 
What you know, you talk about being in the place that you want to be in. What does that place look like? I don't know if it what what, what it looks like. I know what it feels like. It mm-hmm. feels it feels like I don't want to be anyplace else. It feels like the people, you know, whether that they understand me or not, at least they let me be. It, it feels it feels like a place where I feel inspiration, where I feel open, where I feel comfortable, um, where I feel you know I feel like the energy of the people and the and the place are sort of more similar to my energy, um, you know. So I, I I don't know what it would look like specifically, uh, but that, that, that's it would, how it would feel for me. Do you feel like San Diego is close to that, or is it being there more of a work move? Well, I I've never really was planning on staying in San Diego. It was so I came here in 2009, uh, February 2009, so about eight years ago. Uh, and my goal was just to stay here for a little bit, maybe make some money, and then just sort of get used to Southern California and then move to uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. and try to get into the film industry. But then I got a, a really good job here, and I was I had some other things going on with my personal life um, where I didn't really feel comfortable leaving. And now now I do, and so I've, I've been trying to get out of here for the last couple of years, mostly you know by hurling scripts up to people in L.A., I've had a couple of pretty promising leads on things, but things, you know, have fallen through. So, but I think, you know, San Diego is an absolutely beautiful place. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely a great place just to be for me, uh, for, for now. Um, but I, it doesn't really feel like the right place for me. Okay. You know, I, I think that it's, it definitely does have a different energy than what it is that I'm looking for, but it's, it's a place where I've been able to, to get up, get by for these last nine years. And I couldn't say that about Miami or Buffalo or a lot of other places. So, you know, I think there's something special here, but at the same time, it's not really the right spot for me. Well, some of the the professional turmoil that you mentioned, you know, that kind of mirrors what one of your main characters, Paul, is oh, going yeah. through in the script. Uh, very perceptive, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I guess I can't I can't deny the fact that um, you know pretty much any any protagonist that I've written has got pieces of, of myself in them. And so, you know, I did write a story about a screenwriter and he is trying, he, he's, he's kind of going through a crisis at the time. He, he feels like he's, he's had a success with one script, but it was a slapstick stick comedy and he wants to be taken seriously. But, you know, Hollywood just wants him to stick with slapstick. He tried a, uh, a serious film and, and that did terribly in the box office and was panned by the critics. So, uh, but he's he's feeling, you know, he doesn't really know what, where he belongs in his in his career. He's he's feeling like he's a hack. Uh, he feels like he stole the uh, first idea for the slapstick comedy from a friend. We later find out that friend got the idea from from Paul. So it's you know it's, it's sort of a I don't know. He he finds out by the end that he's he's where he wants to be. You know. So it is it is something I, I use my screenplays and my books. Uh, songs and all that. I, I use those to sort of uh, deal with with issues that I'm currently uh, facing. Um, and a lot of times, I've, I've kind of I've used a couple of scripts even to to work out some of my own demons. Um, and I, I, I see writing as very cathartic and, and therapeutic. So, but yeah, definitely, Paul has is, is got uh, pieces of me in him. Yeah, I saw you. You've got a couple books uh, that uh, you. I mean, you've been writing for a while, right? I've been writing since, um, well, I guess I started when I was 19. I started with music, uh, with songs, and then I, I lived in Mexico uh, in 2006, 
for about five months. When I got back from Mexico, I uh, got I, I started writing a book. I didn't know what I was doing at first, but I started writing a book about my experiences there. Um, and that became my book, Understanding the Alacran, which I just published in August. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. And so yeah, a lot of the, especially the books that I've written, they are more about some of these experiences that I have, have uh, had over the last, I don't know, 15 years of my life. And so, um, yeah. So um, where, have, where did you kind of start as a writer, especially to get to where you are now? Well, it's a long and, and messy process. That, I mean, like, you know, I, I, it's not like something where I say, oh, well, I just decided one day I'm going to be a writer and I started writing books. Like, it was, it was a long process for me. I didn't, and I think a lot of it had to do with just a lack of confidence and a lack of know-how. You know, I didn't know what it is that I was doing. I, I had actually been writing since I was a kid. I, I started writing short stories when I was like seven or eight or nine years old, and they all sucked. I mean, they were terrible. Um, I still have them saved here in my bedroom. I read them from time to time just to uh, <laughs> nice. myself how terrible of a writer I started out as. Uh, but I, I just, you know, after having written some of those stories and realizing even at that time how terrible they were, I just sort of put it away. I was like, all right, well, I'm not very good at this. And then I, I have had some... Um, pretty big issues that I've been dealing with since I was a kid, and those sort of took over a lot of my teenage and years, my early 20s, mid-20s, still even today. Um, but I wasn't really focused on artistic creation. I was just really focusing more on survival. Uh, I, I came from kind of a conservative world uh, where the arts weren't really celebrated, and you know, it was sort of, you know, wasn't something that like a, a tough guy does. They don't write music, they don't write poetry, they don't write books. Sure. So this is something I kind of buried way deep down, deep down. But you know, the, the process of, of writing, it was, again, it wasn't just like one event changed everything. It was like a slow awakening, you know. Uh, I met a woman in college who became my friend, who was a poet. Uh, just reading some of her work, she was a, a very talented poet. And she really, had, she believed in me. And she, she gave me a, a, a book and she told me just to, to write anything in it. You know, and I started writing stuff in there. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of other situations like that, uh, you know, where I just kind of got inspired by, by people that I've met or, you know, maybe other artists or the writers. And so, uh, but I started writing with, with songs, the song lyrics. Ooh. And oh, then wow. I, yeah, and then I, I started doing poetry, or then I did poetry after that. And, and I started writing a screenplay too with a friend of mine in college. We started writing a, a script, which... You know, looking back, you know, it was absolutely terrible. Um, but we were, we were convinced that it was it was great. It's going to be the next Google hunting. And uh, but you know, we were both absolute messes at that time. And you know, I, I entrusted the, the the disc. We had it actually saved on like a hard disc. You know, kids today don't even know what that looks like. Um, <laughs> so we had it saved. And my friend, who's you know, loses everything. I don't know why I gave it to him. He lost. Oh no! And so oh. the screenplay that we spent like a summer writing is just gone but whatever oh, so wow that's win. the end of that it's, story yeah, that's crazy he just yeah. lost it <laughs> back in the day yeah, when things could be lost holy cow well, i think that's the you know the, the writing god's way of saying you know this was not ever meant to be <laughs> oh my god don't let people see this thing you know i mean i saw those little pieces of inspiration here and there but we were probably just written off I mean, I don't want to get inside your head, but what, I mean, it could also be like, what is it, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and like no one's ever going to know this piece of wisdom that's lost to time. Yeah. Well, we got some 
so we had some scenes saved on my computer, but you know, I've, I've reread some of them and it's, it's, you know, I could see where we were going, but it just didn't work out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? But it was, and then, you know, there was that. And then also I remember a uh, writing exercise from a high school teacher who just put a blank piece of paper on our desks and just told us go write. Yeah. And that was the only instruction. And it was something that sort of, for me kind of turned on, you know, there's all these different, uh, situations throughout my life that have kind of been leading me, kind of gently pushing me in this direction of writing. But it wasn't really until I got back from Mexico. You know, it was on when I was in Mexico, I was traveling by bus, and I think just being so far removed from where I was from and any of those maybe negative influences that would have told me, you, you can't write, you can't be an artist, you can't do this or that. And I think because I was so far away and I'm traveling on uh, by bus and I'm so inspired by this beauty that I'm seeing, and I felt like, you know, there was something big happening in me, a big change. That's when I, I, it sort of clicked, you know, I want to write about this. And so when I got back to Buffalo, I just started writing down ideas for the, the book on anything. And I was writing on like napkins. I was writing on, you know, pieces of paper that I found on the ground, just, just anything that was coming up. And then I, I was a substitute teacher at that time too. So uh, I had a lot of free time and I, I passed out sheets of paper to the students. And then I would just sit down and I, I brought a three subject notebook with me and I started writing an outline for what I wanted to write for the novel and pretty soon that outline turned into the novel. Wow. I'm just writing this thing. You know, as kids are like doing they're working on their worksheets, they're they're watching you know, a movie, they're watching Love Mice and Men or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there writing, you know, the next great American novel. Mm-hmm. So And this is and this is the understanding the Alacran, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You sound very passionate. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it was something that really brought me through. I mean, that they keep referring to these, like, rough times. I guess I'll just come out and say it. I, I was diagnosed with, uh, well, not diagnosed, but I, I've had obsessive compulsive disorder since I was uh, in second, second grade. And just, you know, with that comes anxiety, depression. I've, I've got yeah. ADHD. Just a lot of, a lot of issues that have um, haunted me throughout my life. And it was just completely overwhelming for me when I was a kid. In my, my teens, when I was in my early 20s, I turned to alcohol and drugs. And so, you know, there was, there was, a, lot of, uh, there was a lot of difficult times for me, but a lot of that became fuel for writing. And the thing yeah. is, the, the writing gave me clarity. Right. Um, it gave me a purpose. And so, you know, that, for me, when I first started writing, those, like that first book and those first few screenplays that I wrote, I felt like I was gripping onto those things for dear life. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I felt like for me, it was absolutely everything. I had to finish these things. I was pouring every, every part of myself into them. Um, and, you know, since then, things have calmed down considerably. You know, I'm able to think more rationally about things and budget my time. And do I want to start with this screenplay next or do what, what do you want? What I wanted right next. You know, that's what I was thinking about today. Should I start my next book or do I do my next screenplay? And, you know, let's think about a timeline for it. Before, I never would have been able to do that. I just would have been like just diving into one thing and just holding on to that thing and, and writing all night and just doing it until it was done. You know, because I felt like um, if I didn't if I didn't do that, it would never get finished. You know, it was like a, it was a exhilarating and exhausting process. But I, I'm very glad things have evened out uh, over the last few years. Yeah. So in your day to day life now. Um, how does your writing factor in? Are you are you writing full time? Do you write part time? Do you also have part time work? Kind of what does your life look like as a writer day to day? So I, I'm a teacher. I, I teach at uh, an independent study charter school here in San Diego. Oh, nice. And 
it affords me time because it, it really is a nine to five job. Like I've taught in traditional school and it's like a 60, 70, 80 hour a week job that just never ends. And you know, the stress just haunts you after hours. And you know, it's just, a, it's a job that never stops. You know, teachers get a, a lot of um, crap from people, but they really do, you know, they, they work harder than probably just about any, a lot of other people. I'm going to say anybody, but, uh, but in this job, it really is a nine to five job. I show up, I, work with the kids. I, you know, everything that happens happens within that time period. I don't take home like work to grade and I don't have to plan lessons and things like that. So it really is a perfect job for me because I work during the day, usually Monday through Thursday is when I do things like, um, applying for ads for, you know, my books or, uh, submitting my scripts into film festivals or, uh, communicating with other authors, uh, you know, trying to find best ways of selling books or, and I do all of that stuff during the, the weekdays, and then on the weekends is when I write. So, um, or the weekends or holidays. So on the weekends, I'll be able to spend like 16 to 20 hours total writing. So you talked about some of your the, the first stuff that you wrote, these first couple books and the first couple screenplays that were you mm-hmm. sort of working out various issues from childhood and stuff. I feel like diplomatic immunity then is a bit of a gear shift. Yes, I would have never have been able to have written Diplomatic Community years ago. And I feel like this is something that's, you know, difficult to explain. Like some of the other, the other screenplays, I feel like, you know, there is definitely a structure there and there's, you know, character um, progression and all that. But I feel like that was just more raw storytelling. The, the, the uh, Diplomatic Community, it's, it's pretty as you see, it's pretty complex with the, how it jumps from the story world to the real world. Mm-hmm. It jumps to the past to the present. And it all kind of, you know, all of it sort of keeps building until the climax. That's not something I would have been able to have done years ago. I just wouldn't have had the, the level of focus to balance all of that and, and to kind of put it all together. And plus with the subject matter, the, the, when these guys are talking about um, overcoming this sort of angsty, uh, period they had in their lives and how they need to move on and they need to be responsible and, and all that. And that's not something I probably would have discussed when I was, you know, or like seven years ago, I probably would have been talking about more about, you know, lighting, dousing the world in gasoline and lighting a fire, you know? So <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's definitely, yeah. there's been an evolution in my writing and um, I think that's, that's the script I definitely wouldn't have been able to have written years ago. It sounds like this evolution in your writing, of course, as you say, writing has been very therapeutic for you, but it, it mm-hmm. also is mirroring this kind of evolution in your personal life, yeah. where in the beginning mm-hmm. of your life you suffered a bit, and now you're able to recognize and then touch that experience and touch those pains in new ways that can help you maybe control the situation a little bit more and define the situations a little bit more, whether it's in novel or screenplay form. Yes, and I, I think that, and something that's come up too in, in my writing is, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like I feel, I feel as though I had this ability when I was younger, but there was so much noise in my head, I couldn't, I couldn't hold it in my hands long enough to study it, to really understand it, to, to, to hold it up and look at it from the bottom, look at it from the top, and, and to compare it with other things, you know, and, and to, 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 to come up, to make connections with that and other, other stories, maybe historical events, experiences. It, for me, it was just the writing was kind of a raw emotion. It was like a, a raw bout of passion where I was just, 
you know, hurling it out onto the page. And now I, I think that I have more precision with it. And so that's something that's, you know, that has been, that I, I feel I have more precision now with my, my personal life. And I feel like there's still a long way to go. I'm still not exactly where I'd like to be, but... Yeah, nobody um, is, man. Yeah, we're, I we're, it's a we're all works in progress. You know, my, my, yeah, my, my high school yearbook quote, I remember I was going between a couple of really stupid ones, and then I just picked this, like, how was saying, the journey is the reward. You yeah. know, and I always go back to that. I feel like that was the right choice for me to have made, because that, that's, it's true. The journey is the reward. You know, I'm, I'm probably, maybe, maybe I won't ever get to where it is that I'm going, but I'm, I'm moving toward it, you know, and, yeah. and that's all you can really ask for, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the script. Jack, you want to lay out diplomatic immunity a bit? Yeah, I mean, so you you know, you talked about how this is a story about a screenwriter, this guy named Paul who had a hit with a comedy and then his sophomore effort was less than well received and he's he one of the driving things for Paul is he wants to be appreciated, but he also wants to be recognized as more than just a guy that writes a script with fart jokes. And yeah. so it's 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 a story of him uh, reuniting with a couple of his childhood friends, Jerry, who is a former lawyer that now is a low-level thief. And then there's Charlie, who was always sort of Jerry's intellectual rival, who uh, ran for mayor and lost and now is running some kind of commune out in the desert because that's what he's doing. And Paul Paul feels obligated to reunite with them because as he's desperate to try to keep work as a screenwriter, he pitches these movie producers on this concept that he and these other two guys came together with when they were kids. And he, he needs to get them back in the picture to kind of get their permission. And then they end up helping him write the whole thing. Is that, that, that well, and also yeah. it's fun to talk about some of the functionality of the script, too. So yeah, as yeah, yeah, this yeah. as the story unfolds. The characters are uh, brainstorming a lot throughout. So it, there's a lot of dialogue, but what but what John does in the script is that some of these dialogue scenes turn into voiceover scenes with the the story world unfolding in like as they're a sort of going back cinema. and forth. Yeah. yeah. So as they're riffing on the story, you watch the story happen. So there's a lot of action that gets built into some of the dialogue as the fictional characters and the fictional. As <laughs> it's fun to think. Well, the characters it's, are also inception thing. Yeah, right. They're also very much like the guys that are trying to spin this yarn, right? Or their idealized or versions themselves. of themselves. Right. Yeah. So we we get to live through the characters in their script that they're writing in the script we're reading, and that see what I'm saying? <laughs> Is that right? Are we are, are we saying it in kind of a comprehensible way? <laughs> this is. I, I'm really glad that you picked up on all that because this is such. It was such a like a, a weird and sort of complex story that I'm, I'm glad you're understanding it because it's a movie it's a film it's a film about film which is really yeah. fun yeah it's it's like a, a really meta story i it's sort of i, I pitched it like adaptation meets idiocracy mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> with sort of like a uh, me and earl and, and the dying girl yeah in it as well yeah so, well um Let's go ahead and read a selection from the script, and then we'll jump into some of the bigger themes here. So now that we've set it up, we can just have a a reference for everybody to kind of hear your words. So listeners, um, we're going to read just four pages from the script, which is available online. Scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. That's right. Um, I will be playing the role of Sarah, the agent in the script. Mm -hmm. Paul's agent. Paul's agent. Jack is going to be playing Paul. And then Frank here is going to be reading the action headings for us. 
Um, and then also, Jonathan, if you wanted to, do you want to set up what happens right before this story, this scene begins? Uh, sure. So uh, before that scene, uh, Paul is, he, um, is, he pitches a uh, script. Or so he's, he and Sarah, they, they go to uh, Albatross Studios to pitch an idea. And uh, Paul wants to pitch, he's pitching an idea that's, that's for a serious, somber, coming-of-age drama. And the producers are just telling him, like, you're a, you're a slapstick guy. Give us a slapstick uh, script. And he's, and before that, previously, he was, we see him, he's looking at a Polaroid picture of his, two of his friends from high school, and they've got the words diplomatic immunity written under it. Uh, and we see previously that, that he, he doesn't really have any friends. He's living alone. He's, he's sad. He's lonely. And so he pitches this idea in the room that he wasn't planning on. He just starts talking about this series of pranks that he pulled with his friends. And the producers love it. You know, they, they see it as like another slapstick um, idea that he can, he can create. And so part of him, he's, he's really conflicted now because, one, he doesn't want to write another slapstick uh, film. Two, he feels that he doesn't really have the right to do it because his friends had come up with the idea with him. He doesn't feel that he is really, you know, a legitimate uh, screenwriter because he's stealing an idea again from his friends. And so, and four, he's just lonely. You know, that's, that's part of why he pitches this idea too, is because of that stuff. But also he's lonely. He's thinking about his friends. He's, he's lost in this, this lonely world of LA, dangerous world of LA, and he just misses his friends. So he's just, at this scene, he's just pitched this idea to the producers. Partially he wishes he didn't do it. Uh, and Sarah's telling him, his agent's telling him, you know what, they like it, go write it, man up, um, stop complaining about everything, just go write this script, you can do it. And so that's that's where we're, we're at right now with this, this scene. Great, thank you. Perfect. So, uh, Frank, since you're starting us off with action headings, whenever you're ready, take it away. Exterior, Albatross Studios, day. Paul walks ahead of Sarah, who speeds up to catch him. I hate to say I told you so, but... But you don't. Paul stops walking. And so does Sarah. Look, you're a comedy guy, and... What the hell does that even mean? Is my entire fucking existence just some cosmic joke? No, but it's what you're good at. I can write drama. I can write serious stuff with substance. We went that route with your last script. And look what happened! Yeah, the idiot masses couldn't comprehend it. Neither could the pedantic critics. It was infinity better than The Fart of Peace. God, I should have fought that title. I wanted it to be The Fall Guy. Look, Paul... There's nothing wrong with writing slapstick. There are millions of writers out there who'd pummel someone to death with rubber chickens for the opportunity you have. Grow up. Grow a pair and finish the script. She starts walking away. Wait, uh, um, I don't think I can do this one. What do you mean? I mean, I don't think it's a good idea. That stuff is all behind me now. I don't <laughs> want to go back. Hey, you pitched it. Also, it's not even my idea. Well, whose is it? Uh, it's partially mine, but I came up with the idea with my friends from high school. So call them up and we'll discuss rights. I've only seen them once or twice in like 12 years. I don't even know their numbers anymore. The now married guy I sucked off before third period gym class in eighth grade just sent me a long sleazy ass Facebook message yesterday telling me he was going to leave his wife. I haven't spoken with him in over 20 years and he found me. Hell, you could find the eight-year-old who sewed that awful tie in a Beijing sweatshop if you tried hard enough. But I... See, this is the problem. And this is why your last serious film failed. 
You don't complete things. What do you mean? I finished it way ahead of schedule. I mean, you don't believe in yourself enough to really see anything through, to realize your artistic vision. I'm just not smart enough. Bullshit. I could see the seriousness and fart that you never brought through and the humor in downtown that you buried. But instead of developing these, you took shortcuts and intentionally confused your audiences in hopes that they wouldn't see you as the phony you're absolutely not. Downtown was a gripping and poignant commentary. The NUI and the isolation of modern living, blah, blah, blah. It was an abortion. And the only reason I even helped you pitch it is because I thought it'd be good for you to get that piece of shit out of the way so you could get back to writing serious slapstick comedies. Paul looks defeated. (sighs) I'm sorry. Look, go find your friends, reunite, whatever you got to do. But get this comedy back to me in four weeks. Got it? I don't have any friends. Oh, boo-hoo. Who needs friends when you're a millionaire? I burned through all my fart money buying my house. I've been renting out the extra bedroom just to keep my head above water, but even my roommate won't talk to me other than to put me down. Both my career and social life are already over. Neither has yet begun. Now, I gotta get over to the set of Wildebeest. Scarlett Johansson is refusing to leave her trailer without a special pair of mittens or something. Boom. And scene. Very uh, nice. I cannot. Thanks, man. I Love almost, I can't get through how many times I got to make fart comments. And that, <laughs> that was so much fun. I'm just happy I could say I burned through all my fart money. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe the best line in the script. Yeah. Uh, that Sarah character. that was fun I really loved because of course I have a performance background and I act so I love 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 getting super fun characters to play with on script shop and that Sarah is such a gunslinger she's awesome yeah I was trying to think of like like an Ari Gold type character with that Mm -hmm. yeah or even the character that uh, that Anna Gasteyer plays on uh, Lady Dynamite that that same that spitfire crude I'm gonna tell you exactly what I think and I love you and I hate you and I want you in my life kind (laughs) of agent that's fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's go back to the script script. Now that we know a little bit about what's going on, I want to say I love the intro to this script, where in the very beginning oh, we right. have Jonathan and Sarah at um, the AFI Film Festival, and she's saying, go, 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 go network. And he's like, I, uh, nah, he feels completely out of place, awkward. He walks up to a group of other filmmakers and just feels like a dork standing there. It's so endearing and yeah. also just a really, really familiar scene at film festivals. I, I have to ask, have you felt this way before at festivals? Oh, yeah, I've felt this way at festivals, at parties, at school, like at cap- in the cafeteria, in gym class, you know. Like, what do, you, what do you say? You don't know these people. How are you supposed to even, like, approach them? So, Ugh. Can I, yeah. I, can I, I got to interject with a personal story here, okay? <laughs> so I love film festivals. I love, love, love going to film festivals because I love talking to people. And yeah. just like Script Shop, I love talking to them about their work and why they wrote it and getting to know them better as a person. But there was this one film festival I was at that I, um, I think I was about four months pregnant. I had been wearing heels all day. We were in at this beautiful after party where, like, all I wanted to do was relax and enjoy the scenery. And this guy comes over to me, and we start talking, and he says, um, I don't know. He, I asked him about his movie. I said, when is your movie playing? He said, oh, it played earlier today. 
And I said, well, mine played earlier today, too. I'm sorry that I couldn't see yours. And he was like, well, I guess it's up to both of us now to just tell each other how good that our movies are. <laughs> and immediately, I, I had just reached my limit. I was like, I don't want to, no, I'm not. You're I, done. I don't want to talk about this. And he said, you don't want to. You don't you don't want to talk about your movie, and I was like, I don't want to have this conversation with you, and I just had to. Jeez, I was I had reached my limit. I just could not. Yeah. I did not want to bullshit with this person I didn't know. I go to these things to meet great people, mm-hmm. and I always do. And this guy was like so not in the same space as me whatsoever <laughs> that I, I just couldn't handle it. Aww. But you know what? This is so funny. He re met me again two days later at the same festival and he didn't recognize me at all really? so i'm glad i didn't waste my time quite frankly because he doesn't know i was an ass to him because he didn't know who i was at all <laughs> <laughs> so i i get how you feel john i really yeah. do yeah and I've, I've met actually i've met some of the, my best friends at recent time at film festivals but at the same time i know exactly who that guy is i know other people who you know they're the celebrity they won't even talk to you you know uh and so it's it's i've i've run the the range of, of meeting great people and people who just or yeah just like the pitch people you know you said just giving out their card to everybody and it's just like a numbers game and they don't really they're not even listening to what you're saying it's you know and then i've also got to the point too where i'm just like you know i pitched i'm pitching my idea for the hundredth time and i'm just like i you know i don't even care you were people you know, we have limits yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so in 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 your script this uh entry scene with Sarah pushing him to do this it really sets up their dynamic and it really sets up what his environment looks like because of course then after that he goes home and we get introduced to Vitali um which <laughs> that's how I've been saying his name yeah. the whole time because it sounds so sleazy when you do it with the way I did my yeah, hands Yeah you had a hand gesture with it like I'm all silly sopranos about it or something <laughs> yeah. um but we see that he really doesn't have any friends he he has a roommate who is a complete pain in the butt <laughs> um and and he's just kind of living this sad 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 life yeah that roommate's a super jerk is that is that coming from a a, a historical truthful place with yes, you yes do you have a jerk roommate we can talk about on the show no, he's he's a total figment of my imagination. But okay. I've, I've known plenty of jerks in my life to, to know how to write them well. I like in the script how you describe how he's got a Guns and Roses vibe. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, I don't know exactly what that is, but I feel like I've got a pretty good idea that I know what that is. And I thought that one of the things I really like when I get to read uh, people's scripts is that all the little stuff, descriptions and stuff that's in the action headings that it, no one is ever going to know about that's in a theater yeah. watching it as a movie. It's just if you get to read it. And I love just little touches mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and I sometimes I, I put stuff in there just to entertain the reader. Yeah. You know, their job is, you know, boring. So sometimes I'll put stuff in there just to like just try to make them smile. So well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I thought that was cool. So let's let's just go ahead and talk about kind of the. Uh... Well, it's silly to talk about that first. Let's talk about the three friends. Yeah. Where do these three main friends come from? Yeah. How are much? How real... much are you, Paul? Yeah. Uh, I. I'm partially Paul. I'm not entirely Paul, but I feel like there's some of of me is in him. You know, like this guy who he's a successful Hollywood writer, and he finds ways of of you know uh, putting himself down. And fi- he's got a you know he owns a house in L.A. and he still feels like he's poor. And you know, he's I'm sure he'd go out and make friends, but he's still holding on to his friends from from high school. So I, I do feel like there's some parts of me in Paul. You know, I think that I'm, I'd rather go home and you know, microwave a pizza and watch TV, then interact with people, you know? So 
Um, but then the, the other two guys, you know, it really, okay, so when I was in high school, I had uh, two friends who were two of my best friends in the world. You know, we, we did everything together. Um, and they were absolutely brilliant. Both of them were, you know, phenomenally smart. And they're both doing ridiculously uh, successful for themselves right now. Um, but we, you know, we, we, these guys, I always felt like they were way smarter than I was, you know, and I always felt like being around them, I was always trying to prove myself to them. And I think that between the two of them, the, you know, there were kind of, there was a little bit of a, a pissing contest of who was the smarter one. And, and so that, that kind of is what, you know, made its way into the, the script there. Also just kind of our goofiness, you know, like we would just do stupid things. The, the cone thing, that actually was real. Uh, my friends and I, we, I, I, I grew up in Buffalo. There was really nothing to do there, you know, seriously nothing. So, so every once in a while, like we we do things like, um, you know, there's construction on a road for like a mile, and mm-hmm. we spent like an hour pulling the the road cones into the street and <laughs> positioning them away so that the person the first person that drove down the street would have to literally get out of their car every ten feet to move the cones or just plow through them. Yeah, you know, we would just do stupid things like that. That's, you know, I feel like we were, you know, it was a these are like the smart guys in school, but they're also doing really, really dumb things. They're bored. You know? So that's, yeah, and, and I think it's, that shows up in the characters. You know, like they're, they have a whole bunch of potential, but they keep doing stupid things and stupid things in their lives. They, like Jerry ends up ripping off supermarkets, and, you know, he was a lawyer. So, yeah, these guys are definitely not living up to their potential. But in real life, the guys I know are living up to their potential. Gotcha. So. That's good. Disclaimer there. Um, so the three friends, it ultimately comes out that their friendships have kind of gone in different ways based on some of the things that happened when they were younger. That arc for a group of friends, where does that come from? It, it started slowly again. It wasn't like one specific event, but we see how these guys, you know, at, at first, you know, they're sort of like a support group for one another. They stand up for one another, mm-hmm. defend one another. Even though they're, they're, like, they're getting picked on, they kind of find a way to, to, to make make fun of it. But then their own personal problems with their own families start to, they start to become things they can't deny. And so I think it starts with that, really, in that these guys are getting older. They're not kids anymore. They do have, each of them individually has problems in their families that they can't keep hiding and as they're getting older, they're becoming more of themselves, and they're kind of starting to drift apart a little bit. You know, at first they're sort of, you know, they're just nerdy, nerdy guys who are getting picked on. They're not getting girls. They're not making sports teams. They, they have academics. That's the, the one place they, they can succeed. But then all of a sudden, Charlie, one summer he grows, and he's, you know, now he's like a, a big, buff, like, you know, super athlete model guy, and he starts getting girls. He starts... He's the one that makes the basketball team before everybody else. You know, he, he sort of, he starts to pull ahead in life, and that really it irritates Jerry especially. But it kind of, it makes Paul feel bad because now they're this unit that they have is sort of starting to break up. And so all these, these goofy things that they used to do, you know, they're kind of like moving on in life. And Charlie's the first one to sort of get away from that. Um, he starts dating an attractive woman and, or attractive girl and, um, you know, he, he he ruins one of their pranks, and the, the one prank you know they're going to go. I forget what specifically they're going to go puke in front of like the Apple Store. Or yeah, that's what it is. Fail, <laughs> yeah, something new, and so you know, Jerry and and Paul are waiting for Charlie to get there, and he just he doesn't show up, and he's you know making out with the girl that 
that he's sort of with and the girl that Jerry has had a crush on. And that's when, you know, Jerry ends up, instead of puking in front of the Apple store, Jerry pukes all over those two. And Charlie gets really pissed off because he's saying, you know, like, you know, see from my perspective, I'm not leaving you guys. Like, this is, this is what we, you know, I'm doing what we've been hoping to do, you know, our entire lives. You guys should be happy for me instead of, you know, giving me crap for this. You know, stop. It's kind of like the cool hand Luke thing, too. Like, stop leaning on me. Stop looking at me to be like your yeah. your leader to, to, you know, stop living through me and have your live your own lives. So, because Charlie, he's sort of the one throughout the script. He's the one that's kind of standing up to bullies a little bit for him. He's kind of defending. He, he's, he's the one that's sort of defending the group more than the other two guys. Paul and Jerry are definitely more passive. Charlie's more the type of person who's going to be active. And he, he does stand up to a couple bullies. And I think that Jerry and Paul, both when they see Charlie pulling away, they feel like they're losing their protector as well. Their leader. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the leader, the guy who's sort of always kind of looked out for him. And so... They're they're feeling hurt too, and uh, but that's that's the uh, the moment when they stop actually hanging out because then the, the, they graduate and then they kind of go their own, their own separate ways anyways, and, you know. Then you know life happens and that they grow apart, and you know pretty soon twelve years passes and you don't even realize how quickly it, it passes, and you know these guys haven't seen each other maybe more than once or twice uh, in that amount of time, so uh, that's that's sort of. Uh, the, the dynamic between them. So it's not like a one specific incident thing. It's sort of like a, a slowly growing evolution where these guys are, they're growing apart. They kind of go through their awkward phase, but then they, they come back together. And they recognize why they were friends in the first place and they rekindle their friendship and they're able to get over some of those, those personal problems with the families and all that, that, that had sort of driven them apart uh, initially. Well, what about the diplomatic immunity thing? Yeah, what, we need to explain the name. Yeah, let's. Could you talk about the immunity versus immunity, and then what this concept means to the group? Uh, it's just because Jerry, he's you know, he thinks that he's smarter than everybody else. He's always trying so hard to be more intelligent, and he just says the name wrong, and so they're just giving him <laughs> crap for it. It's like he just says, you know, from the sea where they're they're getting changed, they're going to go swimming at Jerry's house. And he just calls it, diplo- oh, yeah, diplomatic immunity. Like, he's not even thinking. He just says it, and they're like, ah, oh, screw the name up, you know? So it's just like a quirky thing, you know, like kind of like a little inside joke between friends. I think it gives it a little bit more, like, authenticity. It makes it, like, cuter, you know? There's a lot of opportunity for a lot of fun stuff as these guys come together and they start trying to come up with this movie script that the clock's ticking on for Paul. He's got a few weeks that he needs to make this thing with. And, you know, they start, you know, coming up with these characters that they want to be in the movie that are basically idealized versions of themselves. There's a lot of fun for that. But there's also one of the things I noticed in the script, there's a lot of dialogue that talks about art and responsibility. And is that is that you? Do you think that there that an artist or in this case a writer has some kind of like higher calling in what they're doing, or is it just about making something and selling it? Well, I think a lot of that is just sort of characterization. Like their philosophy on film kind of mirrors their own life philosophies. Like mm-hmm. you know, Charlie's he's got sort of this sort of this like nihilistic. Um, you know, ideals are more important than actual reality, real friendships. Like, so he said, you know, friendship is just a tool. Yeah, Charlie's point do. of view on friendship is dark. Yeah. And, and it goes back to his, his problems at home, too. You know, yeah, sure. He's an alcoholic, and he feels like he's just performing for her his whole life. But then Jerry, Jerry feels like, you know, he's, he's the most sensitive of the three. And he's, he's just, he feels like, um, you know, he's living in this hermetically sealed world. Film is just... 
this thing that happens in our medically sealed world on screen. And that's, I, for, for me at least, that's what I feel like Jerry was talking about his own mm-hmm. his self. You know, he feels like he's just sealed off from life. And so he's just going to, he just wants to do whatever he, he wants to do and, and not suffer the consequences. You know, he's, he's living in this sealed off world. He doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any responsibility to anyone or anything. He's going to go rip off the supermarket then. You know, it's kind of his way of rationalizing um, the, the way that he's living his life now. And I think Paul's kind of in between. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it can be anything. It could be, you know, film can, it, it, it can be something that's responsible. It can be, you know, it can, it can blend, it can blend the art world and the real world, which is what happens in this script. It's, it's sort of like a meta idea. And one of the, the main things I was trying to show with this script too, is that um, the idea, the idea for this film, just like the idea for, for me that creating this film, it didn't just come from me. It came from, friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that Paul is grappling with throughout this film. Where, where are my ideas coming from? You know, it's, did I just steal an idea from a friend? And so we see too throughout the, the film, how they, they, you know, the three guys, they kind of, you know, they have ideas for other things, like who came up with the idea for diplomatic immunity and who came up with, you know, ideas for whatever else, you know, we see that these guys, you know, it's, it's like, they're working together as a unit and maybe one person comes up with the idea and the next person interprets the idea. The next person, you know, gives that the idea a name, gives it meaning. And the idea itself exists because these three guys each had a different role in bringing it to life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what's happening with this, with the script, with the actual script that I wrote. I feel like it happens with the script in this story. And Paul, though, you know, for all of his self-doubt and his, his fear about um, his, his ability, he's the one, he's the only one of the three who's, who's got the creative intelligence to actually understand, to interpret all the stuff that's going on between these guys and to turn that into a script. And so he recognizes that he's not just stealing these ideas from these guys. He is actually, you know, he, he's just a part of it. He's, and he's taking all this information, he's interpreting it, and he's giving it his own perspective, his own spin. And this thing exists because he gave it life, but it's also partially, it belongs to his friends. It belongs to every experience he's ever had. It belongs to every film he's ever seen that inspired him. You know, it's like this, this idea of film uh, and it's just this idea of art in general. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. It, it exists, you know, whoever, whichever artist has ever made anything has, has no doubt been inspired by other people, events, you know, whatever, politics. And so... You know, we're not just living these. We're not just living these empty, lonely lives. Is kind of what I'm saying is that yeah. we each, we each, you know, belong to one another, and and um, and it's it's not good for these guys to be living these separate lives, living these delusions. You know, that they need to kind of get over their their demons that are forcing them to have these warped perspectives. And then by the end, they they do they realize that they need to um to, to come together. And so that's where the you know the the, the film and the real world come together, the friendship comes together. That's like the, the actual, you know, the, the meta thing comes together is that, you know, where I feel like me, my, you know, myself, I feel like I've, I've kind of dealt with some some issues with, with these types of things. I feel like that's kind of coming together too. And so um, that's why I feel like it's sort of like a, it's kind of a complex and sort of like a meta thing, you know, but that's where, that's where those ideas came from about their, their perspective on film. I mean, I don't necessarily, I don't, I think that I don't want to put a definition on film. I don't think film or art necessarily have to be anything. 
You know, it can just it can be an expression. It can be something. Um, you know, it could be something real. It can be something very realistic. It could be something completely, you know, made up. You know, either way, wherever, whatever, whatever a piece of art is, it's no doubt been inspired by something right. mm-hmm. in that artist's life. Right. right? So it's, it's kind of you know we're combining the real experience with with um, talent. You know. Right. So, so this idea then that you know you get to work through some of these concepts and some of these responsibilities to the world and inspirations is exactly what your characters are doing, dealing with whose ideas, who, and where did it come from. Yeah. It helps you through your script and your characters through their script, then come full circle on this, these concepts and these themes of ultimately what go back to loyalties and friendships and being able to share that amongst the people who are important to you. The themes do, they, they shine through really, really strongly, and it's, it's a pleasure reading this work and reading the ways and especially learning about how you have worked with your art to represent your life. That's mm-hmm. really, really special. And I, I think for this one, too, I was kind of hoping that, you know, my friends would read it and, you know, recognize how important uh, they are to me, you know, still. Because I, I, the, the two guys That's that I nice. had this idea with, we apart you know and we still talk it's not like it's it, it, there was no there was never like a, a moment where we blew up at one another and just stopped talking it was just you know people people move away they move to different cities and you know um they're both married now one's got a kid and yeah and I, for me i'm sitting here writing this partially i want to write this script for the world you know i want to write something entertaining you know for people and something valuable for people but i also wanted to let my friends know that i miss them you know so that's why i feel yeah. like two of this this script again it's, it's sort of does a couple different things it's like it's sort of blending a different you know it's got different purposes so can you send the script I, to those friends like just email it to them and be like hey wrote this thinking about you yeah well i sent it to uh both of them actually cool you know, nice. it, it came up to kill my facebook feed it's, it's it's after the first award it won i put it up there my friend was like holy crap you wrote that you know but the original idea for us we we're just gonna write some stupid you know it's like a, a gonna write some really really dumb slapsticky film about like three guys you know they're on like one of those three-person bikes and they're going around yeah. like stealing kids ice cream cones and you know just just really stupid stuff and it's something that you would think about when you're in high school it's no there's no story involved in it um and so I, I always kind of put it in the back of my mind like oh this is just something stupid but it just kept like coming up it's coming up throughout the years like uh, you know, I should, you know, as a joke, I should do something about this. And then I started thinking about it. You know, it's, that idea was not enough to sustain a two-hour film. You know, I think it'd be generous calling that a film. Uh, but <laughs> the idea of, you know, the, the emotions that came up you know, when I'm thinking about my friends, that I felt like there was something involved. So that's why I wrote this. And I, don't know, I think this is it's probably the most complex storyline that I've written. Uh, I. I it just with a lot of the feedback that I've gotten I, with my scripts, it's either a love it or hate it thing. It's either like, wow, this is fantastic, or there's absolutely no story here. You need to start from page one, you know? It, wow. So I, I think that, because I, I have a tendency to write stuff that's a little bit more subtle and poetic, a little more nuanced. Um, and with, with characters, maybe sometimes they're a little bit more passive. Um, and so I, I had been... You know, the, the previous script that I wrote, uh, Harm for the Holidays, I wanted to write something that was just, you know, it was just direct. There's really no jumping around in time. 
you know, it's just it starts the beginning and then just keeps moving and building steam until the end. And that one has by far done the best in the comp- contest circuit. It was just picked up in July um, by the producer of the American uh, Pie and Final Destination films. Oh, cool! Go all the way, they get, and so he he optioned it and is trying to to, to get a package now. Um, but the the diplomatic community I wrote after that, so it's kind of like all right. So I figured I've got that one. You know, I want to write one script that was just, I felt like, you know, a Hollywood reader would sit down and read this and be like, oh, well, this is, you know, like they would just keep reading it. I think that with diplomatic immunity, it just seems like it's the type of thing that, you know, people can't, I think a lot of times when people can't put their finger on something right away, they just sort of, you know, throw it aside. And besides, I was kind of worried about this story being, you know, it jumps around a time and it jumps around between the real world and the story world, just people being like, well, this is just way too... Yeah, way well, too don't fret to too on. much, because yeah, it's, easy. It, it's easy to follow. It's it's an easy follow. Yeah. And you know... Yeah, I, well, I'm glad you guys got it. We, yeah. yeah, we did. We both loved it. Jack and I read things separately. We don't talk about them until we yeah, really until jump right on now. the show. Really? Yeah, so that way we can share this, too. Um, and, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's great to get to talk oh. to you about this, and time just flies when you're it having really fun, did. doesn't it? I can't it? believe we're at an hour already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it, this you know, it definitely flew for me too. So thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah. No worries. You you gave me, you, you gave me um, the opportunity. That every every writer uh, loves craves is the opportunity to talk about myself. So thank well, you. You're welcome. Oh, we well, love talking what, about you and your work too. That's what we want to do with the show. That's yeah, what the show that's is. That's the show's about. So if somebody right. wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, uh, probably by email. Uh, so they can email me at John, that's just J-O-N, at JohnLapoma.com, or just go to my website, www.JohnLapoma.com. There's a contact form. I think it's probably the best. Yeah. The Perfect. Best do it, so. Cool. Well, thanks, John. It's been a real pleasure thanks talking to you much. about diplomatic immunity. Oh, you as well. All right. That was John. Yeah. Jonathan. 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 John. John. J-O-N. I think the website is John. John Lapoma. Yeah, John. Lapoma, that's a good name. Yeah, diplomatic community. Do you have any of those? Um, I mean, you've stayed in touch with a lot of your friends. I have. I've, yeah. there, there's a few that I have uh, fallen off on. I was actually just thinking about a buddy of mine the other day that we were really good friends in college. And then when I was living, before I moved to Cincinnati, I was up in the Toledo area. Uh, we were very friendly and uh, just distance and time just weren't working in our favor. And thinking of scripts like this where you are kind of reuniting with long lost friends and stuff. That always, I mean, you can't help but think about the people in your own life. Yeah, you're you're halfway across the country from where you grew up. Oh man, yeah, I know. And you just think about again time and distance and what that does when you're not with someone. Yeah, you know, I have a niece and nephew, and I'll see them when I can when I can see them, and they just grow so quickly. Yeah, and you just realize what's lost, or you know, with people that you grow apart from, how time affects those relationships, and you're different people after a while. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, thanks for everybody for listening. Thanks for being a part of this um, heartfelt discussion with John Lapoma. Yeah, we're kind of ending on a somber note. Is that That's okay? okay. Yeah, okay. of course. I'm you never know, sure. If the stories, if the stories require a respectful attitude, okay, then I'll get my sillies out of the way to focus <laughs> on the work. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're interested in talking about your work, go ahead and send it to us at scriptshopshow.com/submit. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Script Shop Show. Go to Patreon.com. Submit to the Cincinnati Independent Film Festival. Wow, you're hitting it all. I'm just trying to make sure. What else we got in there? Uh, iTunes, Google Play. Yep. Leave us a rating. Uh, Share. Script Shows. Oh, yeah. Okay, Frank's holding up a sign, and it says. Frank wants us to know something. 
it says, um, give us a ransom. <laughs> Send $25 my way if you want Jack to live. What? <laughs> Frank. No, but look at his scrawl. It looks scary. Well, he's just, just handwriting. I don't so, think there's anything scary about okay, that. Okay, well, read this for everybody so they know what it says. It's a, I'm, I'm just, it says show notes, scriptshopshow.com slash 25. Yeah, so if you want to check the show notes, including links or references that we've made during the show, Go to the website, Script Shop Show. Jack, did you really not get that? I did, but it just, I don't know. From reading this, this we talked about it in the meeting. A, in the meeting. A, this is the first time this is happening in media res as we're all in the middle of this. And B, I didn't know that was a thing we were going to start letting people know about. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. neither did I, but look at how cool is a cute. I was even able to make a joke about it. I mean, it's great. I don't want to make fun of you anymore, though. <laughs> you um, already got me in a wizard hat on our <laughs> little marker board drawing that nobody's going to know about till it gets put up on Instagram. It's going to for sure. Yeah. I'm going to save it till this episode comes out, too, so it's gold. Perfect. Um, anyway, it's a pleasure, as per the usual, friends. Thanks, we're, folks. Yeah, we're happy to share time with you here. So, until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Script Shop Show.